Scherzinger, and it was released in March of 2013, and it was co-written and vocal produced by today's guest, Anthony Preston. We have a lot more with Anthony Preston today, but I want to say thank you so much for joining us on the Original Dial podcast. I am your host, James Rodriguez Horton, where I unpackage music with the people who created it. We share all sorts of love with the creators of your favorite songs, from the global hits to the deep cuts to the unreleased and more. So don't forget, follow me on Instagram, the.original.dial. You can go old school, www.theoriginaldial.com or Twitter at James Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z. That account is the one that Britney Spears herself follows. Now, today's episode is going to be great because we are going over so many amazing songs that Anthony Preston took part in. So I'm just going to go ahead and hop right to it. I want to give a big shout out to all my Patreon patrons from Ryan to Xavier to Rochelle to Jenny to Tommy to Tyler to Rami to Tiffany to Rob to Freddie to Mac to Adam and Bonnie, uh, Chris T, Chris O, Pam, Steve, and more. Uh, We have more stuff coming out, so if you want to help us keep this podcast free for all, for as little as a dollar a month, you're able to do that. Now go to www.theoriginaldoll.com for more information. And if you have any questions or if you want me to talk to some of your favorite songwriters and producers, let me know. All right, once again, my name is James Rodriguez Horton, and this is The Original Doll. The Original Doll. Uh, everyone, I would like to welcome our next guest to the Original Doll Podcast. We have somebody who is fantastic, who people have been dying for me to talk to, and it's Anthony Preston. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us here on the Original Doll. Well, thank you for having me. I always get so confused with those kinds of introductions because I'm always like, who are they talking about? Like, that's not <laughs> me. <I'm, laughs> but I, I appreciate the fact that um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work on a couple of songs that people enjoy. So not a couple, I'll, I'll a, lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> <up here. laughs> I have the amount of questions I have. So for the listeners, for the first time listeners, thank you so much for joining in the original doll. I unpackage music with the creators and kind of give the stories 
and the careers of all these people because it takes a village. So for the first time listeners, uh, Anthony being on here, for every question he answers, we're getting items donated to help out homeless LGBT teens. And for the first listens we get within the first 24 hours of this episode airing, we also get items donated. So thank you all so much. For more information, visit us, uh, www.theoriginaldoll.com. But now back to you, Anthony. Anthony, you have a ton of songs that I want to talk about and everything, but let's, let's rewind. Let's go back to how you actually got involved in music in the industry. Well, music was always what I wanted to do. Um, when I was a kid, I would sing in church and I took piano lessons and I played more instruments. I mean, I would believe I played the piano, the saxophone, the oboe. I even went, in, I, I learned how to play the bassoon. Stop. And no, really, and I did. And I come from a family of boys. I was the oldest of three kids. And my father was not only um, a football coach, but he was our football coach. So imagine that conversation of that. I don't want to do this. I want to do this other thing. <laughs> but <laughs> so, um, but I, uh, yeah, music was always a part of, of who I was. And fortunately for me, I had an uncle, my uncle Bob, who was the band director at one of the high schools in town. Um, and he kind of saw the gift in me early, I guess, and was able to help my parents navigate how to encourage me and put me in the right spaces. So I was, you know, I hate to say I was a multi-instrumentalist because I never really mastered any of them. Uh, but I definitely learned a lot about theory and musicianship and things like that. Um, that would help me later on. See, this is what I love. And I think what's important is so many people in the music industry where music is almost always a part growing up early on those developmental stages. I talked mm-hmm. to music producer Chu Fu and he was like, I play the saxophone. No one in the world thought, you know, what was going to happen with this kid playing the saxophone? He's like, now I remix music and I make my own productions and I work with, you know, Bootsy Collins, all this stuff. And so it's awesome. So what was your what was your, what would we say, like the big break? What was your first cut? What was that first meeting? Like, what was that time where you're like, oh, sh- I'm taking it up to the next level? Wow. Um, I don't know how to answer that. I, I feel like it's like, a, like an omelet scramble in my head. <laughs> the first time that I felt like I was, I mean, you know, my story is really unique in the sense of I had two runs of music and, and, I, and I don't know how to fret, break it up, right? In mm-hmm. terms of, I think what happens is you have this goal and you have your blinders on and you're trying to get somewhere until you get there, all that stuff behind you is just the stuff behind you. And I wish I'd done a better job of enjoying the ride and really celebrating the micro accomplishments. Um, but when, when you ask a question like that, I, I would say, um, for me, you know, one of the, the biggest breaks I had was having the ability to work with David Guetta early in his career, um, and watching him skyrocket into this household name that he is now, um, and understanding and learning from his creative process and how he put songs together and being in the studio with him and just his vibe is, was always so cool. And having been exposed to that was amazing. Um, and I think that the first, was that the first cut? I guess that was the first cut, was um, the first 
real cut I had was with David. Um, it was a song called Night of Your Life featuring Jennifer Hudson. I wasn't the dominant songwriter on that song. Um, that was Crystal Nicole, um, famous for Only Girl in the World, and who is not only one of my favorite writers, but an amazing, incredible performer. Um, I can't even tell you the memories that I have in my head of watching this girl perform. I mean, she is woman perform. Oh, I love <laughs> it. I love it. I love she it. Is, she is such a phenomenal artist um, and performer. Um, but I, I, I've been hanging out and traveling um, with David for a couple of years, and I. And I'd been trying to write songs and, and I just didn't do anything, come up with anything that was next level. But one day we were sitting, um, we were actually at Chris's house, Chris Willis's house. And we were sitting at the dinner table um, and it was just David and I, for some reason, I think Chris was recording something. And David was like, I want to play a song for you. Let me know what you think about this song. And so he plays a song for me. And I was like, I like it. It's really cool, but it, but the meaning is a little different and it, it needs to, it needs to flip. And I can't remember what it actually said at first. Um, but I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what that's that. I don't think that's what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being very careful. I don't think that's what <laughs> a girl would actually say. Mm -hmm. I, I think what, what do you, and he was like, what do you mean? Cause I think the original song was somewhere in the space of, um, it was night of your, I'm going to give you the night of your life, but I think it was just very, it was very pro-female, very, you know, I'm just going to rock your world. And mm -hmm. I was like, I don't think that's what my girlfriends would say. I think my girlfriends would be more like, you know, if this is going to be something more than a night, mm. yeah, <laughs> then we can, then I'll go ahead and give you the night of your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, let me play with this a little while. And so I, I, I play with it for a couple of hours lyrically um, and gave it back to David and David sent it over to Crystal. And I didn't even know her at that chapter. And she was like, yeah, I love it. It's cool. And then life went on and never thought about it again. And very literally, um, I was in Malaysia in Malaysia and going from the airport to the hotel and the song comes on the radio and I recognize it's Jennifer Hudson and I'm listening and I'm just like, Oh, this is really cool. It sounds familiar. And then when it got to the hook, I was like, <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> That's my like, song. I know I mean, this I was song. Like, uh, all right. Well, that's awesome. And it's always a feel good moment the first time you hear something like that, you know, on the radio. And I think at that chapter, I mean, you know, Crystal was always already super big and David was definitely the rocket. So I was just happy to be there. Well, and was that song, was that, well, if Jennifer Hudson, it was kind of the surprise thing. I think one of the listeners had asked, you know, is it true? Was that for Rihanna? Like, was that going to be a Rihanna cut first? That I don't know. I, I was not privileged to those conversations. I don't mm -hmm. know about that. Um, you know, I, I wonder if they thought the, just because it was Crystal connection. Do you know what I mean? Where? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't put, I would not be surprised if those conversations and if they'd been pitched in that way, nothing mm -hmm. wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, when I did get to meet Jennifer years later 
and we referenced the song. Yeah, and we talked about it, and she loved performing the song, and she loved the song. But I think at the time, in hindsight, the label was just testing it in some of the Asian markets, and it performed really well. But I think they went with another lead single. Um, you know, I think if I'm not mistaken, probably the monster that is Titanium. Um, <laughs> so, so you know, you kind of bow out gracefully. Like, yeah, hey, we'll yeah. <laughs> you're like, we'll let Big Sister handle this. We'll just be on the I side mean, when you, you know, need us. It, it's Sia for God's sake. So, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> and so and the thing is, but like, how awesome is it that you know this vocalist years down the line, even because a lot of times people are like do artists remember these songs? And oftentimes I've had artists that are like, you remember most of the songs that you've cut, but you really remember the songs you enjoyed making or enjoy performing. So with Jennifer Hudson, who's one of those, she can walk on stage and just go. She could do whatever she wants to do. Do you know what I mean? I I'm like, as a Chicagoan, I'm like, she's she's pride right here. She's pride for me. That vocal is so crazy. I just can't even... I mean, my first, I, okay, so on the day that I met her, we met at the record at the studio in LA that everybody likes to work at. And I'm walking down the hallway and these studios are built in theory to be soundproof, right? And you like, what's going on in the booth? You're not supposed to hear it in the hallway. And I'm walking down the hallway and I hear this vocal coming out of this studio. And I'm like, is she, is, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, and it, I know who it is instantly. And I'm like, is she just standing by the door? You know, belting right now. <laughs> and so what she doesn't know is I kind of stalked her. I was like, I'm just going to wait because I've been waiting to meet her forever. And I'm going to just kind of wait in the break room until I hear some doors open and then conveniently walk down the hall. She was so sweet. I go, I go, Jennifer. And she turns around and it's her and two people from her team. And she says, hello and then the other two chime in in a harmony hello hello and i was like stop Sigh. <laughs> it, was, it was such a moment i was like okay this is too much she had she was phenomenal and i did not even take a, i didn't even have a phone to take a picture which was so disappointing but uh-huh. um but that was years ago that was circa 2013-14 and just to see where she is now and where she's going um, you know, she's a legend, literally a living legend in the making. And and not that she doesn't know it, but she doesn't know it. She like she just is so amazing. And it's like, when is that vocal gonna stop? She's not done growing mm-hmm. as an artist, you well, know, and, and it's just and that's the fun part about her. Like I say, I always say like Chicago pride because she's given back so much to the Chicago community. And it's like, there she is leading up to summer out there passing out school supplies and everything. And and she's one of those people that like in interviews that I've seen, she doesn't realize she is Jennifer Hudson. So she's like, fine, I'll go pack these up myself and pass these things out, which I think that's an endearing quality to her. But also she's one of those vocalists that I've always said, she makes it look so effortless. She goes and she sings and you're just like, God blessed you with talents all over the place. And we're just like blessed to hear it. So she's phenomenal. It's a gift. Hopping out quickly to talk a little bit about the song Night of Your Life. Now, this is one of those situations that Anthony Preston mentioned where a lot of times labels have had it where they kind of figure out if a song is going to work or not. So they put it out there. Now, here in the United States, for those who are in the States, 
the song Night of Your Life first was played in the United States in Seattle uh, on August 26, 2011. And then about a week later, it was played on Sirius XM on their top 40. And then it went on to a few different places from iHeartRadio and Alpha Media and everything. And so that's something that's really interesting is there were times that they were kind of testing it out in the market. But what I wanted to point out was the digital single itself was a top 10 hit in Austria, in Luxembourg, in Norway, and on the UK dance charts. Now, that's not too bad for a single that wasn't given the full, complete single uh, treatment. So I wanted to talk about that. And now I want to hop back in and I want to give a shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much for those who want to join on Patreon for donating a little dollar a month. You're able to help keep this free and open for all. www.theoriginaldoll.com. Now back to the show. Let's jump to this. I have somebody who messaged asking, hey, can you please ask Mr. Preston about the song All Inside? I really like Kim. Anything else that they worked on together? And that was... Oh, okay. So this is where, I mean, you guys are taking me back to thoughts. I mean, Kim Sazi, who doesn't love Kim? So that was, so I, so I first started moving and shaking in the EDM world. Um, and I met Kim after one of her performances in New York. Uh, and we just instantly clicked and went to the studio. I wrote that one with Chris Willis. Um, and Kim, and then I flew to New York and recorded it with her. Kim and I worked on a couple of other songs during her career. I don't know what happened. She was signed to Ultra Records at the time. I don't know what happened to them, but um, she, what a good time that was back then. Um, Miss Kim so much. I gotta find her and wonder where she well, is. There you go. So everyone hit hit up Anthony in his DMs. If you know where <laughs> she is on Instagram, go ahead and pop it up there. Uh, another one is, I have a question. Can you please ask Anthony, does he realize how he makes these electric EDM songs sound so fucking good? My my listeners swear a lot. The Alternate radio song. Can you please ask him about that? Yeah, so this was early in my career. So part of my story is the meeting of Mr. Chris Willis, who is really my mentor and probably the reason that I have a career altogether. Um, you know, navigating the music industry at the intersection of racism as a Black person and homophobia as a gay person and being in spaces that you're not, especially then, we're seeing um, exceptions now with Little Nas X and Morpheus and some of these younger kids. But keep in mind that this was a decade ago. And, and, and we, as a culture, were not as evolved. Um, so sometimes that manifested itself in terms of who you could work with or what the circumstances were or who would pay attention to you or what meetings you could get and things like that. Um, and I felt a lot of frustration. And at one chapter, I was completely going to be finished with the industry. I just wasn't making any kind of headway. I didn't, I wasn't feeling strong and confident. I was frustrated and angry more than anything. Cause one of the things I think um, you're aware, you know, you, and I'm paraphrasing, um, but James Baldwin said, when, when you're black and aware, you're in a constant state of rage, right? And mm. I'm black and aware, I know what's happening to me and I don't know what to do about it. Um, and so you find yourself in a, in a co constant stage of rage. I told some friends the other day, I, I was looking at some emails or text messages 
from 10 years ago recently. And I was like, oh my God, I was so angry. Like, I can't believe I said, I can't believe I did that. I was so angry, but I know why I was angry at the same time. It isn't an excuse, right? But it's just an, um, part of my personal growth and my personal development. So when I met Chris, um, we met haphazardly, accidentally in Paris and maintained a relationship over the years. And, you know, he told me what he told me. I asked him what he did for a living. He didn't tell me he had a song on the charts in Europe at the time called Love is Gone. But what he told me was that he played the piano and sang a little bit. That's literally what he, this man told Stop. me. Stop. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to be, I'm a songwriter. I want to be a songwriter and all this kind of jazz. He was like, oh, well, let me hear you stuff. So he doesn't even know this part, I don't think. So I pretended like I was happening to be in New York so I could see him. So I, even though I flew to New York to see him, so I was like, I'm going to just go to New York and see him. But I played it off like, yeah, I think I might be in New York next weekend. Luckily, if I could stop by and catch up. So I stopped by, I go to his house, this beautiful apartment on the upper Never East Side, West Side, on the Upper West Side, uh, gorgeous apartment. Um, he had a studio in there, it was, it was so cool. And I go in and I play him music. And you know, to know Chris is to love Chris because he can say anything to anybody. Um, especially, and he has his own way of saying when something sucks. So he doesn't, but he doesn't say that directly. He just, he's, he's like, oh, and then he'll make a comment that you kind of like, uh, I think I just got clowned. Ah. <laughs> so I play him on music and he says, you have a lot of potential, um, but you, you know, rough around the edges, we need to work, but you can really do this. You should give it one more try and I'll show you how. Um, and so that happened. And um, I'll be eternally grateful. But one of the first situations that he took me along for the ride with was his collaborations with Ultramate. And radio was one of those songs. Somewhere in the mix, Chris moved to Atlanta and Ultramate, who I did not know other than her discography and of course the anthemic song that is free, um mm -hmm. and, and and i and i you know clearly obviously knew who she was um but she came and i think what's so meaningful to me um about that space is at the time especially i knew i wasn't getting sessions solely because people were whispering about my sexuality i knew that that was happening mm -hmm. um, and so i finally found someone who didn't care and who was like, and more, and, and what it looked like, you know, now that I know her for years, um, you know, she's affirming, which is different than not caring, right? This, like she was actually knowing what she was working with and her management and all that kind of jazz. So it was, um, it was great to be able to be a part of that album and that project. And radio was one of those songs um, that I consider those, development works where Chris and I would get together and we we just write and write and write. And um wow, such memories. And radio is one of those songs. See, I love that because that's one of those things where it's like when I think of you, I think of like the David Guetta cuts, you know what I mean? Stuff like this. And like yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like alternate and like that is she is like a queen. And for for me, 
I, I want to say was free in like the, the mid to late 90s, where early 90s. So I remember hearing that song in high school and th- where it was something where it's always been a part and Chicago is such a huge house and they're very welcoming to the dance community that she's one of those names that I think has always been around. And I feel like for me, anytime I've been at a pride parade, any, any sort of party, she pops up. Like she's always present. You know what I mean? So it's front, front and center. And the thing is that in the song is beyond epically legendary. Free is just one of those anthemic songs that, you know, especially the LGBTQ plus community will always remember. And it will, you know, it, it's so, I mean, <laughs> it says it in the song. You know, I'm free to be, and I love, and I'm not a singer, so I'm not even going to try to sing it. So for the oh, audience, I'm going to be playing on. a snippet of it behind me. No, you will go tone deaf just hearing me sing anything. Uh, my talent is buying the music, and that's that's where my talent for music is. Um, we have a listener who wants to know about Give It Up For Love and any other songs that you worked on with DJ Antoine. Wow. I worked on a couple of songs with um, DJ Antoine. Uh, yeah, Give It Up For Love was, I want to say we wrote that in the most beautiful studio in Santorini, Greece. Um, they asked me over. You and, are international from Malaysia to Paris. Here I'm, on, I'm <laughs> jealous right now. I, I'm on my seventh passport with this stuff. Let me see. Um, yes. I, I, I want to say that was that trip, I believe. It was my first time in Greece. Um, I'd met them through this amazing writer, um, friend of mine, um, Jensen Vaughn, who is so dope. And um, there were so many songs that we wrote in that week of sessions. And to be completely honest with you, um, I, I don't think that I knew that this song released. So I'm, <laughs> I'm having to, to remember, uh, yeah, did you do good? Is it, is it overseas? Did, it, did they listen to it? I mean, he's so popular overseas. So well, that's, oh, go ahead. No, I I am mind blown right now. I I want to hear the final product. I I remember. Go to album. It was from the album Sky is the Limit, which came out in 2013. January 25th, 2013, Give It Up for Love was released. Wow. Yeah, these are memories from the corners of my mind. Um, you know, I think one of the things that people don't realize is as a songwriter, um, <laughs> This isn't a valid stat and it doesn't apply for everyone, but, you know, for every 200 songs you write, one of them makes it out of your brain and out of your studio. And so sometimes keeping up with this stuff can be like, oh, my God, I didn't know, because especially if you're you're not a part of the production process. Um, I'm learning a lot from this interview. Like, I've been around for a little while. (laughs) 
You have. And the cool thing is, and this is why I like doing this, because I always tell people it's more of like, this is your life, because you have all these people who have a connection to these songs. When I had talked to Maya Marie or Casey Livingston, they talked about like, you know what's bizarre? They're like, they're our biggest kind of royalty things are overseas. Like this K-pop song that I didn't know or somebody translated the song into Korean, it just showed up one day. They're like, here's some money. And it's like, well, that's perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's things like that. So up next, we have another Nicole you know Scherzinger. Go ahead. I got to take that back. I actually did that one with Jonathan Mendelssohn. This super dynamic vocalist and writer, um, which explains why I didn't realize that. Okay. Uh, I love that. Yeah, that was with Jonathan Mendelssohn. I, in my mind, I met those. I went to that session. I went to that Greek session with Jensen, but we wrote Give It Up for Love at Jonathan's place in Brooklyn. I flew to Brooklyn and spent a couple of days with him at his house with his partner, and we just hung out and ate and wrote music. And yeah, I never knew that that song actually made it out. Good to know. There you go. Congratulations. Well, eight years later. You. Congrats. I have, love it. I have eight years worth of royalties to try to find. Absolutely. Well, and you did you hear about the whole BMI publishing, ASCAP, everything, the pro situation? They have a half a billion dollars that they, they are like, uh, we don't know who this money actually goes to. So we have to go back to the drawing board. Half a well, billion dollars of unpaid royalties. You so. are giving me a reason right now to uh email my publisher as we start mm -hmm. my administrator but but i will definitely, there you go yeah i'm gonna do that i i i never knew all right and so the next one is another track that featured nicole scherzinger it's with a somebody named eros eros Ramazasi. yeah um that was really cool that was a oh my nicole scherzinger days i gotta tell you that was one of the most interesting chapters and projects that I've ever been affiliated with. Um, I love Nicole. I think she is amazing on so many different levels and to have a chance to spend so much intimate time with her and not intimate sexually, obviously, for mm -hmm. a lot of reasons, but, <laughs> but intimate in terms of just in the studio getting to know her, spending time with her, eating and talking and laughing and dreaming together and to see, you know, where she is now in her happiness and all the amazing things that she um, deserved to have come true for her and for the world, more than anything, for the world to see just how talented she is vocally. Because mm -hmm. um, I don't think that we knew based on some of the as successful as some of the pussycat stuff was, it really didn't give her a chance to, um, for her vocal to shine and for people to know, you know, listen, there's a very small club of what I call super vocalists, your Beyonce's and Jennifer Hudson's and, and, and things like that. And I, and I just mean vocalists, like people that can just sing, you know, Karen mm -hmm. Clark Sheard. It doesn't matter the style of music. It just means you have the Stevie Mackey, I think of. Like these people that can mm -hmm. just 
sing. Avery Wilson, these people can sing. And Nicole is squarely in the middle of that. And so for me to have been there and to learn that on my own through working with her, I mean, she, it's mind blowing how that girl can sing. Um, so so was this was the this song the same kind of project as Boomerang? No, no. Boomerang was a part of Nicole's personal project. This was actually mm-hmm. a part of Eros's project. Um, we got a call from the Italian label, and they wanted Nicole to feature on the song. Um, there was some, Will brought this to me. There was some. Uh, there was. There were, I won't say holes in the song, but some of the song hadn't been written. Mm-hmm. I think they did a contest or something. I don't remember what the story was from over there. But when it came to me, Will sent me in the studio to write. And for the listeners, sections. we haven't mentioned this name. And which Will is this? Oh, Will I Izzle, the only one. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't I... even talked about him at all. But okay, continue this part. Okay. Will I am is who I'm talking about. So he sent me in the studio to write that part. And then Nicole obviously came in and recorded it. I remember it being a whole thing because no one spoke. It was it Spanish or Italian? It was Spanish. He's definitely Italian, but the song was in Spanish. And we weren't sure of the translation. So we had to, we fuddled through that one. I don't even remember how we handled that. I think we had to get some, like we sent the lyrics over to another Spanish writer who twerked them around a little bit and then Nicole recorded those as well. So it was, um, it definitely was a, an amazing project. And I'll be very honest, I didn't know who he was before I did this song and then having done the song, um, it really opened my doors and opened my mind to um, just, wow well and i was gonna say isn't that what's interesting about the music industry though is that you can have these kind of powerhouses in whether it's their region their community their language or even special genres like alternate maybe a country artist doesn't know alternate but dance people know alternate you know what i mean and then nicole scherzinger thing many people might be like wait is she the pussycat dolls is she did she have solo where you work with these people that are in a very distinct group where everyone knows who they are. Eros, that's one of those people that like, I don't know what the equivalent would be. Very prolific and- Huge. And it's like- Huge, Well, and and having Nicole Scherzinger on there, that's just not some newbie that can easily go, you know what I mean? That clearly that project had something. And when you go, I want Nicole on this, there's a specific person that can ask for Nicole to be on it. And she's like, sure, I'll give it to you. You know what I mean? Exactly. I love. love. Yeah. Yeah. They, it was definitely a a great project and I'm definitely, and it's performed very well. I got, I even got a plaque for it. It, I'm very grateful to have been there and been a part of that. So let's talk about Boomerang because I think what's been interesting is Nicole Scherzinger, and we talked about this, is she's got the voice, she's got the skill, she's got the persona. Pussycat Dolls, (laughs) they did well. But then it seemed like the label was trying to figure out what sound to go with for this. How did you get involved in Boomerang and what other kind of things did you work with? Because what I've loved in interviews is she seems very collaborative with people that she's like, cool, let's just do this. So how did you get involved in Boomerang? Well, Boomerang, the dominant writer of that was Danny Mercer. And I think he sent that record to Will. Um, And 
you know, sometimes records will come in and they'll have like the verses and the hook or just the hook and, and, a, and a bridge or, you know, there's some pieces missing somewhere in that space. Um, I, I can't remember what it was on there, but there were some, there were some opportunities. I think it was the bridge maybe that I wrote. Um, maybe some of the verse, I can't remember really what, how that worked. Um, but to answer your question or to speak to your point, yeah, Nicole is super, we're in a place now where everything we do is highly collaborative. Mm. Um, highly collaborative, especially in the sense of, um, you know, we just want, everyone just wants the song to be great. Mm -hmm. And so you do whatever it takes and whatever is necessary for the song to be great. Um, and that goes on the, the, the top line side as well as the production side. I don't really see songs as fragmented. I see them as complete pieces of work. And so it's all, for me, it's just a matter of everybody giving their best and doing whatever their best is. Um, you know, and it, we're all on a creative and, and a journey of growth, right? Um, and what I really think, like when I think about those songs from nine years ago, my first, one of my first thoughts is I'm so much better now. I wish I could have another run of some of that. <laughs> so, you know, but like isn't that a true artist better. though? Isn't that yeah, a true nine, artist though? Like go back. <laughs> I'm nine years better now. What do you mean? And so, and I can never touch those things again. Um, so it's really just about, because at the end of the day, you know, what we really are is a group of kids who are creative and we're just expressing ourselves. And, our expression um, has been deemed uh, monetizable by mm. another community <laughs> within the industry. Um, and I'm grateful because it allows me to do this full time. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the benefit for me is, is that, you know, you come out of the space of having to have an enabler job and you get to live and breathe your art on a regular basis. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. So shout out to Danny Mercer. It was an amazing song. Um, and unfortunately I can't even remember who produced it. That was one of those where, you know, I did with, I, I wrote the parts that Will wanted me to write, got all that approved on that side. And then me and Nicole went in and recorded it. Um, and then it went from there. And I think that's probably a song. I, I love the video that she did for that song. Um, yeah, she's just phenomenal. Miss her. Well, and that was, I think, Sandy. Oh, no, I do know. Yeah, Sandy V. That's my boy. He did work on Boomerang. I knew that. Sandy, I'm so sorry. I'm old. I'm old. But <laughs> Sandy the thing and I is have worked on a lot of songs since then. But I think that's where Sandy and I met. Um, Sandy and I met. Yeah, I even went to New York. To, to, he had this beautiful apartment and studio in the sky. It was mind blowing. It was like in a, the studio was like in a bank vault. <laughs> it was That's crazy. Awesome. It was so crazy. And yeah. And then he came out to LA a couple of times and he had a house and rented in LA. But we've worked in a couple of songs together since then. So shout out to Sandy V. That definitely is, um, he's an amazing, that would explain why the song is so amazing. Yes. Those guys are it. super talented. Well, and this is the fun part is, and I think that the listeners have been learning in and the original doll is so many times it's not your 
Monday through Friday, you're working on this one track. You could be working on various tracks for various projects and try to remember, wait, who did what? And sometimes it's this part was worked on and then somebody works on it later. Then they come back to you. You're like, wait, was that my, which one was this? You know, we want to edit this up. So what I want to do is jump to, because you brought up Will I Am and Will I Am has an important part in your career. So say the least. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about how you met and we're going to go through that. And then we'll also talk about the Brittany Jean project. Have no fear, we have our final part with Anthony Preston coming up in the next couple of days. So be sure to subscribe so that you can get notified right away. I want to thank all the Patreon patrons and Anthony Preston. I hope you all are enjoying this as much as I am. The great thing about learning from these songwriters and producers is we get bits of information about these artists that we might not know you know, more about or the evolutions of songs. So I will go ahead and see you all on the flip side. The original Yeah, yeah.